Welcome to the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. Thank you podcast. so much for I'm listening all the way to the end of this episode. The episodes of this podcast Stay in touch with weave together a web of healing at lindsayconversations.com shared here are created with love and, and feel the free to that follow awareness along on curiosity at authenticity and vulnerability Lockett. are finally you can check out all of my offerings tools and courses and they are private coaching and workshops one of us. on my website the spider's web has served as a great teacher for me webs are designed in such a way that the tiniest vibration in one part of the web ripples out and vibrates the entire web through this intricate network, every thread is connected. Nothing happens to one that doesn't somehow affect the others. Each human is a strand in the collective web, and inside of you exists the threads of body, mind, spirit, emotion, ancestry, and community that make up your web of life. It is not unlike the web of neurons in our brains or the web of the nervous system that connects each system and part of our bodies together. Everything is connected. I hope this podcast helps you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and helps you weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined by Sarah Cook. Sarah is a writer, poet, and trauma-informed mentor. She guides folks in tending their creativity, both their tangible projects and goals, and the spiritual-emotional relationship with their creative impulses and their vision. She does this work with an eye toward resiliency, enchantment, and the transformative power of written words. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Lindsay. It's so nice to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, I love the last part of that, an eye toward resiliency, enchantment, and the transformative power of written words. Thank you for naming that. I can't tell you how many times I've like tweaked that wording, just like agonizing over wanting to get it just right, because there's something... There's something that is really important to me to capture that is like both on the page, like the things that come up with our creativity when we're writing, when we're making, when we're engaging with just the process itself of art making, but also this other thing that happens off the page that is like partly spiritual. It's like, it feels like enchantment to me. It feels like the stuff that can be both harder to speak to but also, and this is really important, it's like the part of creativity that's just for us, that has nothing to do with publishing, sharing our work, looking for validation. It's like the relationship that we are all allowed to have with our creativity, no matter what our job is, no matter what our goals are, no matter our skill level. It's that like part of it that's just for us. So it feels really important to me as a writer and also like a highly sensitive, very spiritual person, it, it feels really important to me to like always speak toward both halves of that thing. Yeah. The, the half of creating for the world, but also the half of creating for self. Is that what yeah, you mean? Totally. Both okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's, I mean, so we're, you know, it's November. I'm like thinking about this time of year and this idea that that the veil is sort of like the thinnest right now, right? I actually, I think that's like a really useful metaphor for thinking about creativity too, that creativity is this thing 
this veil that is like always thin. And so there's almost like, there's like the earthbound stuff, like me sitting down on my laptop and working on an essay or me making decisions about my writing practice or my schedule or my habits or me setting goals for sharing my work, right? I think of all of those things as like the earthbound stuff. And then there's the like, otherworldly stuff, right? The the way that I'm like tapping into something spiritual and bigger than myself when I'm engaged with my creativity and I and I feel like that's again there's this there's this feeling in me of wanting to like protect both and wanting to help people realize that our creativity can offer us both of those things. Hmm. So what's instantly coming up for me is Oh, this feels like such a tender, mm. vulnerable thing to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that I feel like I have had very few creative experiences that were just for me. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really feel like I got to be super creative in childhood because I had a really traumatic childhood. So there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of space or. Time for creating or like for playing. Um, I didn't have access to like, you know, like a closet full of things that I could make with, mm-hmm. <laughs> like something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then I got married and had babies so early. Like I was in, I was 20 when my first child was born. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so most of my creativity in my 20s went into trying to make a a beautiful home for our family, which I did, Um, you know, decorating and being crafty in that way. Also, we were on a budget. So like I had to get really creative with ways to make my house look nice that Mm -hmm. (laughs) were affordable for us. Um, And then just, you know, I homeschooled our kids. And so that took a lot of creativity. But again, that wasn't just for me. Um, and the home wasn't just for me, although that was definitely like the place that I felt was my sanctuary. Mm. And then in my late twenties, um, I started food blogging and my creativity in the kitchen was for taking photos of and turning into blog posts and sharing with the world and sharing on Pinterest and, Then I sold my food blog in 2021 and in early 2020, I'd started this current business that I have later in 2020 in October, I started this podcast, which was a huge creative venture. And the work that I do now is it requires a lot of creating Mm -hmm. and of course I get fulfillment out of it and I have to live and learn whatever it is that I'm going through in order to be able to create and teach to other Mm -hmm. people. But sometimes I definitely feel like, what would it be like if all of this was just for me and Mm -hmm. no one else got to see it? Mm. And would it still matter? Mm. And would it, would it still be, Oh, I have tears. Mm. Mm -hmm. Impactful. Mm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's what's coming up around this. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for doing the <laughs> immense work of of taking those feelings in your body and putting them into words. Cause that's like 
not an easy thing to do. And so I'm like, well, I am a trauma coach for a living. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nevertheless, I'm just like celebrating the beautiful and vulnerable way that you just articulated that. I also have this impulse right away to say like, you are so not alone. There's so many people, so many of us. And I think this is one of the weird consequences of like, you know, obviously traditional public schooling and academia and those kinds of spaces. And this like way that we are ushered into a, an adult version of creativity that is all about, well, what are you producing? Who's it for? What's the return on investment? You know, all those kinds of things. And it just, it's such a disservice to us because it tricks us into thinking that our, our creativity doesn't count unless Mm -hmm. there's some, this thing to show for it. And it's just, I don't know how else to say this. It's just a fucking lie. It is just like objectively not true. The other thing about all this is like everything you just named, you know, parenting, all the things you've created for your business. And I hear you saying this and I want to like reinforce it, all of those things take so much creativity. Like, of course, your creativity is showing up. Our our creativity is often showing up in ways that we don't label as such. Because again, we learn this idea of like, well, it looks like sitting down with a canvas and painting a landscape. And it's like, well, it looks so many different ways. Um, And so all of that stuff is beautiful. And writing your creativity has clearly like served you so well. And it's so vital that we also have this other part of it that is just for us. And it's, it's just as valid. It's just as worthy. It's just as impactful, even if it's just for us, because it's for us, because it's our part of our relationship with the world, with nature. It's it. Creativity has so much to do with not what we're making, but like the quality of our attention. And Mm -hmm. so there's also this like, it's almost like giving our own selves that same like tender quality of attention that we give to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. There's so much there. Goodness. Mm-hmm. And so interesting. You're like a lot of people think that they have to sit down at the canvas and paint a landscape. And as you, as I was thinking, like, do I have anything creative that I do? That's just for me. That's the only thing that came up is that sometimes usually in the winter, I like to paint <laughs> and I'm not good at it. <laughs> um, like, I, but I don't care that I'm not good at it because I enjoy the process. I enjoy right. mixing the colors. I enjoy watching the paint go onto the canvas. Um, and I've painted so many things that are, that I've thrown away mm. and I don't feel even guilty about throwing them away. I'm just like, I wasn't painting it for the end product. I was painting it because I wanted the the time yeah. to not have to think about anything else but this, yeah. to not have any pressure to produce something, yeah. to just be like, okay, I'm painting this evening. I'm going to take a couple of hits on my pipe of weed, and I'm going to turn on some good music, and I'm just going to fucking paint, and I don't yeah. care what it looks like on the other side because this is like an hour or hour and a half that I can just do this for no one to see, but myself. And like, that's the only thing I could come up with that I do. That's just for myself. And I only do it in the winter. 
Interesting. I'm well, I kind of want to I want to invite you to say more about the seasonal aspect of this cuz I do I love thinking about the like I love bringing nature metaphors in for thinking about our creativity. So thinking about the seasons that we move through, thinking about sustainability. Um, But I also just, I first of all, just want to gush a little about this thing that you do, this like experience that you create for yourself. Because, right, it's like there's so many things we might do to relax or to turn our brains off or to just kind of like decompress. But there's nothing quite like the experience we create for ourselves when there's this creative element involved, right? It's a, it's like a different way of being that I can't, you know, I can go exercise. That's a cool way of being. I could like binge a TV show. That's another sometimes cool way of being, but like this way of being that we, that we get to tap into when we're painting or writing or making, it's so special and we can't recreate it anywhere else. And if for people who just like, aren't, protecting some of their time for that. I just, I feel so concerned about what they're missing out on, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, for me, like the seasonal aspect of it is because I live in Minnesota and (laughs) so it's winter here for longer than it's not winter. Well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It also gets dark really, really early. Um, So like, it feels like this is like painting for me during the winter is like a way for me to occupy some time mm-hmm. in the evening mm-hmm. that doesn't involve like TV or, you know, binging a show or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but also doesn't put me in the space of like, well, if I'm not going to watch TV, I might as well clean my house you know, or like find something air quotes productive to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, even like I used to love to cook until I started a food blog and then it was like (laughs) (laughs) for the first couple of years, I still really loved it. But ever since I sold it, it's been over two years since I have not had this food blog in my life. And I still have not reclaimed my love of cooking because Mm. for so long, this thing that I love to do was also like, you know, my family would regularly, like I would make dinner and they would regularly have to wait to eat until I was done photographing the food. So it was just like, (laughs) yes, it was creative. Like you have to be really creative to do food Mm -hmm. photography. You have to be really creative to come up with your own recipes and write recipes. Mm-hmm. But it was like once I started ex- exploiting it, oh, that word came out. Once I started exploiting it, yeah, um, it sort of over time lost its luster. And yeah. so, you know, I'm not trying to sell my paintings. I don't post about them on the internet. Uh, I don't care if they go in the trash. A few of them mm-hmm. I have on my shelf over here, but most mm. of them have gone in the trash. And yeah, so wintertime feels like the best time for me to sort of do that because painting for me is an indoor activity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a way that I can be creative and have some time to myself and just free flow without, you know, in the summertime, I just want to be outside all the time mm-hmm. and I want to take advantage of being outside as much as possible. I don't totally. want to be inside doing things with my hands. I want to be outside walking, hiking, gardening, like mm-hmm. swimming, all the things. Um, so yeah, 
the the painting thing is really interesting. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I forget you asked me another question there, and I can't remember what it was. Season and. It was another nature. I had mentioned like just thinking about seasonality and sustainability in terms of our creativity. Mm. Um, Yeah. I also, I don't know if you know much about human design, but I'm a projector. So like I don't have a steady stream of energy all the time. Like I need a lot of time by myself to recharge and you know, painting is one of those things that we just keep the supplies in the house. We have a drawer that has all the painting stuff mm-hmm. in it. And it's kind of like having a closet with all the making stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And so I can just go open the drawer and, and turn on the music and, you know, hit my pipe or whatever. And, and for me, I also feel like it's necessary to say that I'm a really sensual person. And when I say mm. sensual, I don't mean like I'm like a super sexual person. I mean, sensual, literally senses, like totally. when I have an experience, I want it to look aesthetically pleasing. I want it to feel really good. I want it to smell really good. I want it to taste really good. Um, and I want it yeah. to sound really good. And so like the painting provides the like tactile visual pleasure uh, the music provides the auditory pleasure. The weed cannabis provides this sort of, you know, internal sensation of mm-hmm. a different feeling of pleasure. If yeah. I'm like eating some chocolate or, you know, something like that, there's my taste. So for me, it really is about like creating the most sensually pleasing mm-hmm. creative space possible, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Also, I I love that you have that awareness. Also, my I feel obligated to mention my sun and moon are both in Taurus and I'm a Libra rising. So like anytime an astrologer sees my chart, they're like, you are so Venu- Venusian. So like I understand the sensual need. Like I okay. 100% get that. Um, yeah, yeah, I love – well, and there, you're you're just touching on something so important – with the like, here's what I need in the summer. Here's what I need in the winter. Here's how my environment needs to be so that I feel supported and in tapping into this space. Oh, also, I can't be in this space all the time. I need long periods of time where I'm not producing. Like, that's so important. I feel like one of the first like ideas that we learn specifically about writing and creativity is that like the thing we all should be fearing the most is writer's block. And some time ago, I just started saying, like, I don't believe in writer's block. I don't think it's a real thing. I do think we sometimes have blocks that come up in our creativity that relate to wounding or trauma, but that's a different thing. I think writer's block is just capitalism tricking us into thinking that we should be producing 24-7, that if I'm a real writer, I should write every single day, and if I don't, something's wrong. And that's just, Mm. these things just aren't true, right? And that's, that's again, where I find just like a lot of really um, wonderful support from like metaphors from nature, because it's like, you know, trees are not flowering all year that like they need periods of dormancy, like plants need, like there's lots of things that need to happen underground in order for things to happen above ground. And I think that's true for our creativity too, for, for our, just our humanity really. But, um, yeah, 
Well, I feel like so far the first 18 minutes of our conversation has almost felt like you're coaching me, which I appreciate (laughs) so much. Um, I love, I mean this in like the most non-narcissistic way possible. I really do love talking about myself and my quirks because it, I find it helps me understand myself better. Yeah. Um, but if we take the focus off of me for a second and put it back on you, like (laughs) what got you into this work of being so passionate about helping people with their creativity? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I've been super creative and I've been writing my whole life that like before I had any sense of a career or like big life goals, I just, from the time I was a kid onward, I knew that I loved to write and I just wanted to like be in that space. And so I became an English major in college and then went on to grad school without, and I think this, you know, without going too far into this, I think this maybe gets into some of my own trauma. Like I didn't really have a big concept of like who I was or what kind of life I was trying to build, but I just knew I loved writing and, and that that meant I should be an English major. And so I went in that direction and was in academia for some time. I taught a little bit. Um, I graduated with my master's and I'd been thinking about going on to a PhD program and kind of at the last moment, like caught up with myself and realized like, oh, I hate academia. I don't feel nurtured in this space. This is terrible. Like, so I, I pivoted really sharply and I ended up going into social work. Um, so I was a social worker for about eight years. I did a lot around housing advocacy. I worked for a long period of time with foster youth. Um, I ended up becoming a, a case manager and housing advocate at a local community mental health agency. So I was at like the peak of that part of my career. I was like working with folks with um, SPMI diagnoses, so like a severe or pers- persistent mental illness, and helping them either get housed or stay housed. And just was like, I loved that work. I loved it. It felt to me like in such sharp contrast to the experiences I was having in academia, which, you know, I learned a lot of things that made me who I am. And at the end of the day, found myself sitting in a lot of classrooms with a bunch of people who all looked the same. And we were all talking about these great ideas. And then we left the room and they just like disappeared into the air. And it was so there was no like, work or community or sense of like service, I guess. So I I think that's part of what led me into the social workspace. Um, And then, and I continued to be a writer and tend my own creativity and I, and send work out for publication. But I really, during that whole time felt like my creativity and my writing were on the side. My real job was my social work which I was good at, which I also, you know, didn't have good boundaries around and I was getting burned out and, you know, all the typical story of all of that. Um, and when the pandemic happened, that, you know, it shook a lot of things up, obviously for everyone and, and made my job a lot harder. We went through some leadership changes that were really devastating. We ended up unionizing during the pandemic. It was like, it was just like a a wild experience. And I got to a point where I just was so burned out and I was starting to just imagine like other ways that I could be 
in my life. And I was at the same time feeling this thing of like, I don't know that I can keep compartmentalizing my creativity in the way I have. So that was like bubbling up. So at the end of, gosh, I guess it was at the end of 2021, I quit my job pretty suddenly and just did this thing where I started calling myself a writing coach and a creativity coach. And I just, you know, very slowly before I knew what I was doing, started finding myself like moving into this space of building this little business for myself and figuring out what that meant. And fortunately I found Kat Lee, who, um, I think she's probably been on your podcast multiple times, but I know she was just recently on, um, and went through her BAM program and just, yeah, found, you know, for a long time, I told myself that I was really fickle because I like went into academia and then I was like, no, now I'm a social worker. No, now I'm not a social worker. Like I, I thought I couldn't figure out who I was. And what I'm starting to realize if I zoom out a little is, is, oh, I had to go in all those different directions to now be in a space where I can take what I learned as a social worker, which is, you know, what it looks like to hold a trauma-informed space, what it looks like to work with people through a strengths-based lens, what it looks like to be an advocate. I'm taking that and I'm taking what I gained in academia around, you know, my writing and creativity skills, and I've just like smushed it all together. And it's like, oh, now I get to help people with their creativity and their writing, but from this trauma-informed place, from this strengths-based place, which is so vital. It's so vital. And I, you know, if I can say this, like, I think it's part of why you got kind of teary-eyed, you know, with us talking. Our, Our creativity intersects with our sensitivity, our wounding, our trauma, like all those things, I feel like they live in our body in the same places and they move through our body in the same ways. And so it's it's so vital that we hold a more tender space for our creativity than I think a lot of us get in in schooling and other really formal spaces. Yeah, for sure. That's real. I think the what I felt coming up in that moment was it felt like sadness for lost time. Mm. Like mm-hmm. of like time of not creating just for myself, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, I'd love for you to say more about in your coaching with people, like, you know, I work through the lens of the nervous system. And so like, I'm curious when, when nervous system dysregulation and creativity collide, (laughs) like what, what types of things do you see? Like when people are feeling stuck or they have stories about creativity, you know, like I have, I have stories about it that I'm just becoming aware of in this conversation, which is like, I've had stories about like, I don't have time for that. Or I have stories about if no one ever sees this, does it even matter? Is it impactful? Um, stories about, um, well, I don't even know what I would do because I'm not crafty or because I don't see myself as a writer. Um, Mm -hmm. which is not totally true. (laughs) I'm starting to see myself more as a writer. Every time I scroll through my own Instagram feed and read my own captions, I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm a fucking writer. Yeah. (laughs) Look at the word count. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look at all these things I've written. They're amazing. Um, so, so yeah, like what kinds of stories are you bumping up against with people? And like, how does that look like in terms of 
trauma patterns repeating, adaptive survival responses um, when it comes specifically with their creativity. Does that make any sense? It it does. Yeah. And I'll I'll do my best to speak to it. And and yeah, please ask another question if I'm I'm veering. But I mean, a lot of the things that we've already named are so common. and And I always like to just reiterate that because I think these kinds of things that we worry about, like that my creativity doesn't count or what I want to write doesn't count or isn't good enough. Like there's, you know, those stories are, are painful enough on their own. And then there's like the layer of shame that comes in when we also happen to feel like I'm the only person who feels this way. So I think it's really, there's medicine in realizing that we're all swimming through a lot of these same myths. Um, I, I think a really big one that I see a lot is is one that we already named around this feeling of like, well, it's only going to count. It's only going to be worthwhile if X, Y, or Z publishes it or if somebody else sees it. And, you know, I, I really view my role, and I think this is a kind of superpower I have, is this ability to to be a good listener and to pay really close attention and hear the threads or hear the stories that are coming up and just kind of point at them or ask questions about them and help people notice the things that are already, they already on some level know because they're able to say them or they come up in a session, right? And I'm there to sort of point that out and invite us to look a little bit more closely and be really in like a neutral or even a loving way, be really curious about where some of those ideas came from. And there's a lot of purging and unlearning and, and, and like kind of pausing to notice. I think this can be a really valuable practice, like noticing what our values are in life and sort of looking at those next to some of these stories that we tell ourselves. Cause pretty quickly you'll notice, oh, that story doesn't line up with any one of my values, right? Like if I value compassion and sustainability and relationships, and then I'm walking around with this story that's telling me that like anything that I want to write and share with others is worthless. There already there's there's like something that's like not aligned there. So I think I think there's a lot of work of of noticing these stories and and just the the strange and scary and beautiful magic of noticing them with another person who is not going to judge you for them and who, you know, is holding a kind of tender and sensitive space for us to, to notice and get to the bottom of those and then start doing the fun thing of imagining what a new story could be, you know? Um, I think too, another, another thing that's really common is, you know, people, feel really afraid to share their writing. And I, I, I work with people who work in all different kinds of mediums, but I am a writer, so I do tend to attract a lot of writers. Um, so, you know, I'll be working with someone who is a writer, but they they haven't shared their work with anyone in years because of just that fear of, I mean, think about when we shared work in classroom spaces and we got a good grade or a bad grade, but it, even in a, with a, with a good grade or like good feedback, it's still so dependent on that other person liking it. The stakes feel so high. So truly just the medicine of being in a one-on-one container with someone where they're getting the chance every other week to practice sending me their writing, seeing 
that they survive it, noticing safety, noticing the safety after they send it, noticing the safety after they've read my comments, noticing what it looks like to have someone engage with their writing in a respectful and strengths-based and curious way. Because I, I do give feedback. I do help people edit things. But I'm I'm doing it in a way that's quite different than what a lot of people are used to. And just walking through that multiple times with someone and, again, noticing the safety, it's, it's really, really powerful. It's really powerful. Mm. Yeah, I'm imagining that you're not the kind of editor that goes through something with like your red pen and you're just exactly. making tons and tons of <laughs> marks yeah. over it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's, it's so funny. I was an English major also. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, <laughs> my passion for being an English major did not come from my love of writing. It came from my love of grammar and literature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, and then, uh, after I had my kids, I went back to work for a short period of time and I ended up being the managing editor for a publishing company. Mm. And, um, so I did have a red pen all the time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so interesting. Like I, I, I've never ceased to be amazed at how impactful it is for like, trauma-informed, compassionate space holding has the potential to transform literally anything, including mm-hmm. someone's writing process. Even totally. like I wouldn't have never thought of that until this moment, but it's, that's really powerful. Yeah, totally. I, I don't know why I get really anxious anytime I go to get my hair cut and, uh, which is probably why I like shaved my head for many years. Cause it was just like the easiest way to avoid ever having to think about that. But the last time I got my hair trimmed, I remember thinking like, fuck, I need, I just need everybody in my life to be trauma informed. Like I need someone who's like a trauma informed hairstylist. Cause this is, this experience I'm having is just like, not, it's just not cutting it. Yeah. I think, I mean, I really do think it's, I'm sad that we have to be in like highly specialized spaces for these kinds of things to come up. And I really think it's just a way of communicating. It's a way of being in relationship with people. To me, one of the most like foundational tenets of, of a trauma-informed practice is recognizing that we're never seeing all of the context. We're, even when we're seeing something that is like, seems so stereotypical, so representative of the person or, or seeing someone's worst behavior, the part any part is never representative of the whole. There's always more context to the story. And I just, I don't know when I shouldn't be interacting with other people that way. You know, like even yeah. at the grocery store, if, if I think someone's rude to me, it's like, why would I not in that moment just also recognize, oh, but there's maybe they're having a hard day or, you know, who knows, who knows what people are going through. So it's a way of just being in relationship with people, you know? Yeah, totally. It's for me, it's literally just a way of moving through the world. And like, that doesn't mean that I don't get activated and dysregulated myself. Like I totally do. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, when, when you, 
you know, at this point, I don't think there's anything that anyone could tell me about themselves or their life or anything that they've done that would like shock me or surprise me because I'm so used to just holding space for people. And when they share these really vulnerable, hard Mm -hmm. things about themselves, like it's just second nature for me at this point to be like, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like you did that and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Or you felt that and that makes sense. Or um, Mm. I was in a group call this morning and one of my students said that one of the most impactful things that I ever said to her was when she was talking about a very hard thing she was experiencing. I just, I mean, this is like not rocket science to me, but when people have never been met this way, it's like rocket science. Yeah. I just, I met her with like, I believe you and I believe this is hard for you. And like, (sighs) she just broke because I didn't know this, but she grew up with a father who was constantly like, there's nothing wrong with you. Everything's fine. You're okay. Get over it. Mm -hmm. So for her to hear from me, like, I believe you. And I believe this is hard for you. Mm -hmm. Like it just, it breaks those, those pain walls down in such a powerful way. So I totally agree with you. I wish everyone was trauma informed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. How common that was. My, my partner and I were just talking about that the other day, this like parental thing that seems very common of like, if you're getting worked up about something, you're told to go to your room you know, like yeah. that you're, that big feelings or hard feelings are met with this like punishment or like go away yeah. and come back when you're calmer. Yeah. Just like that thing. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't deserve to be in space with the rest of us. If you're behaving this way, mm-hmm. you deserve to be isolated. Like, yeah, ugh. you have to be a certain way. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, these things, these are obviously these like human, very human things that all of us are navigating. And they, of course, show up in the creativity too, right? Which is like such a tender, tender part of us, tender part of our experiences. And it's, yeah, when you've had bad experiences too, you know, with the red pen or in schooling, you know, just depending on, I mean, I've heard lots of different bad stories with, you know, professors and I've had my own bad experiences. It's like, it's so it is traumatizing and it, and at its worst, it can make you feel like you have to just turn away from your creativity completely. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really, yeah, it feels really important to me to be a kind of steward of people returning to that space on their own terms, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a heard a heartbreaking story the other day in a session with someone and, um, she shared that when she was six years old, they didn't have money and the mom was always depressed, always in bed. And she was hungry and the mom was like, we don't have anything. We don't have any food. There's nothing. Mm. And so this little six-year-old went into the kitchen and, and pulled out like a box of pasta and a can of this and a jar of that and put it, opened it and put it all in a bowl and took it to her mom in bed and said, look, we can make casserole. Like, and the mom like blipped out and was like, you just wasted all of that food. Who do you think Mm -hmm. you are? Like, and it didn't occur. I mean, of course I like 
held space with her through that conversation and was like, I'm so sorry. Like, you did not deserve that. But now, as I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, looking at it through the lens of how that must have been such a blow to her creativity, because mm-hmm. a six-year-old going into a kitchen and pulling out a bunch of ingredients and innocently po- pouring them into a bowl and being yeah. like, look, we do have food. We can make casserole, you know? Like, even if it if it was a air quote waste of food, mm-hmm. maybe it all didn't go together or, or something, but she didn't know that she was just trying right. to be creative and solve a problem. And like mm-hmm. how that must have felt like such a betrayal by her mm. mother, but also I'll have to ask her, like, how has that impacted your creativity going forward? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm, I'm feeling really called in this moment to name something cause the, cause this comes up often when like i do think one great way sometimes to do a little bit of healing or to get some good data around our creativity for many people can be to remember how you created as a child there that can be a meaningful thing and as you spoke to and i've encountered this with other folks too we don't always have the privilege of being able to tap into that or like for me i was really creative as a child but i i have to sort of step over certain difficult things to like access that. So it's not always, it's not always an easy thing. It's not always even a possible thing. So I, I like to remind all of us that we have access to a lot of things at all times, but there's these two like main creative things that we always have access to at any moment. One is our intuition. Even if we feel like we don't have a strong one or it's, we feel far away from it. I, there's not a lot of things I would argue and say like, this is objectively true, but I'm going to say objectively, we all have intuition, even if we feel like we don't or feel far away from it. But the other thing we have is our imagination. And I think our imagination gets kind of a bad reputation because we associate it with maybe some of like the flightiest parts of being creative. Or if you think about it, we live in a culture where the language of imagination gets used against us and in oppressive ways and in gendered ways, right? Like I speak to something that I'm feeling or I'm concerned about and I'm told that it's all in my head. That's That's imaginative language being used against me. So I like being an advocate for like, no, our imagination is this like vital tool that we all have. And for those of us who maybe have a harder time, even if we don't just simply can't remember what our creativity was like as a child. Cause that, that can be really true too. And that can be obviously, as you know, like a result of trauma, like not being able to remember certain things. We can always recruit our intuit, our intuition and our imagination and just, you know, feel into what, what we might've been like through either of those things or do a little bit of like imaginative work around like what might young Sarah be interested in doing, right? So there's like other ways that we can sort of with tenderness and sensitivity tap into some of those things without it feeling like, oh, because I experienced childhood trauma, I just like don't get to think about that part of me. You know, we can, we can find some other ways to kind of with curiosity, um, do a little bit of that, you know? Yeah. So have you ever had a client or have you ever met someone who was just like totally shut off from their creativity? Yeah. I have worked with folks who, yes, where, I mean, 
it's hard because to a degree, I do feel like if somebody's reaching out to me and and I and I always aim to really highlight this, you know, there in my mind there's a really beautiful core of devotion there if you're in a position where even if you haven't I've worked with people who, you know, hadn't written in 15 years hadn't shared their work with people, hadn't, you know, had would try to show up to the page and would just be completely dysregulated and, you know, really couldn't couldn't tend this part of themselves that they knew they still cared about and just went a really long time without being able to to tend or tap into that. Um, you know, once someone reaches out to me or if I find that we're having a conversation about this, I always want to name and really highlight, even if it feels small, the devotion it takes just to be willing to enter that conversation a little bit, yeah. even if it's just with just with one other person. And even if you're nervous and you're not sure that you want to work with me or you're just, you know, you're, you're just asking, you're just like being a little bit curious about the possibility that that still tells me, oh, then there, despite everything you've been through, despite how hard this is, despite the trauma you've been through, wow, your devotion is even stronger than those things because we're sitting here having this conversation, just seeing if it's even a possibility that the, that there's a way I could support you or a way that you'd like to invest in your creativity. So I, yeah, I, I like, I like to sort of name and celebrate that because I think it's true. And I think we, I think a lot about resiliency I think also as a result of having been a social worker and also when I think about my own history and the things that I've survived and, you know, I think a lot about how, how resilient we are as humans and that our creativity, you know, it's sort of like we, we need to feel safe enough to access our creativity and our creativity can help us build resiliency. I think we can like turn to the page as a reflective tool, as a therapeutic tool, I think we can, we can like skill build within our creativity in ways that we can then like build tolerance for certain things that we then carry elsewhere into our life. You know, there's, there's something really magic and therapeutic that happens if we can get to our creativity in a way that feels like, yes, I see that this is a safe space that I have access to on my own terms. It can really be the source of of a lot of healing, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I had this question pop into my head and it feels like I'm supposed to ask you and I don't know where it comes from, but could you speak to the difference between creativity as necessity for survival and creativity for pleasure? Hmm. I can elaborate a bit. Yeah. I like this um, question and I want to hear a little bit more. <laughs> so when, when my husband and I were, uh, first, well, within the first 10 years of our marriage, we did not have extra money and I was at home homeschooling two small kids. And so me going and getting a job outside of our home was not on the table at that point. Mm-hmm but we often didn't have a lot of money coming in. And so I got creative and found little ways that I could stay home or bring my kids with me 
and still earn some money here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, and it required a lot of creativity and problem solving and reaching out to people, networking, like stuff like that. And I never made like a lot of money, (laughs) but it helped back then. It helped, you know, an an extra $400 a month, 10 or 12 years ago was like a lot of extra money in a month for a lot of people. Yeah. So, but that was creativity out of necessity and survival. Mm. It was like, I had to figure out creative ways to try to contribute because my husband was already working at that point, two jobs. So him working more Mm. was not really an option either. Um, so my creativity came from this place of necessity and survival. Mm -hmm. And these days I'm much more interested in exploring creativity for pleasure. So -hmm. that's what I mean by that question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when I heard you ask the question, what I saw immediately was like, well, there's this version and there's this version. And there was a part of my brain that maybe habitually wanted to like look for the differences between the two. But hearing you talk a little bit more and sort of like sitting with that image, I I feel like what I notice is less about, I mean, there's an objective experiential difference between those two things because we're talking about being in survival mode in one and we're talking about something that is beyond that in the other. But I'm, what I'm noticing is it's almost like I'm seeing this image of like threads between the two and the way that our creativity is something that can follow us through our life so that it's always showing up and, and depending on the context or depending on the situation, it might look like it's helping us meet a basic need. And then in another situation, it might look like, painting something that we're just going to throw away, right? There's no like basic need involved in it. Um, And I'm just thinking in this moment, first of all, like, oh, it's, there's something so like that to me is why this has to do with spirituality, because it is this thing that I don't think, I don't think we lose it when we're trying to meet our basic needs. I just think it looks different. And I want to be careful how I'm talking about this because I also, it is also a different thing to be someone who's just trying to get their basic needs met. I'm not trying to say it's just as enjoyable as when we have our basic needs met and now we're just engaging with it for pleasure. But I, I don't, I don't think it's that we, I think it's like this thing that's always with us, you know, and, and increasingly, you know, I do find myself thinking of pleasure in its own way as also a necessity, <laughs> you know, which is also kind yeah. of a, it can be a complicated thing to say. Cause again, you know, I've, I've, after working with, with folks just struggling to like get a roof over the, their head for as long as I did, I'm, I feel very sensitive to like privilege and actual basic needs. Um, but I don't know. I just pleasure and joy. Like we all need that too. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of more interested in the way that our creativity is sort of this thing, this thread that runs through all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, after hearing you talk and feeling into the question more, I think that was actually just a really personal question that I was asking Mm. because even, even now, like the work that I do in the world today requires an insane amount of creativity. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also my family's only source of income. Mm. So 
I do derive immense pleasure from it though. Like that's Mm -hmm. the difference is I don't feel like I'm in survival mode, right. With my business. Um, but I can't deny that there is an element of my survival tied to my ability to be creative. Um, and so something that I've been purposefully trying to bring more into my life over the past two years, especially is pleasure. Mm -hmm. And, I would, I mean, other than my painting, (laughs) I would love to find ways of expressing creativity as pleasure that have nothing to do with my survival. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like because your creative expression, we already know that it's a little bit, um, attuned to the seasons. So it makes me really curious if you approach this question through a seasonal lens, you know, how does your creativity want to express itself during the spring? How does it want to express itself during fall? And you could even, you could zoom in and out as much as you were inspired to with this. I mean, we're at this very particular moment of fall right now, right? Where things are starting to change and I wonder like what does your creativity need or what kind of like desire might there be to express itself this time of year, right? To like be Mm -hmm. curious about it through the lens of the seasons and see if that generates anything that might be harder to notice when you just go, you know, step back and just go like, well, what would I like to do? That, that can be kind of a daunting, big, overwhelming question. I, I, yeah, I wonder about the role that seasons might play in this journey for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I do live really cyclically and close to land. And so Mm -hmm. for me, that means like the winter is sort of that time for like slowness and deep rest and hibernation. And so painting feels really natural in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the summertime, my creativity is more around, like, I really love foraging and making my own herbal medicines mm-hmm. and flower essences. Mm-hmm. So like that feels really creative to me. I think in the spring, my creativity, and again, this is not really around survival, but for some people it could be. My creativity is in like, you know, drawing my garden from a bird's eye view, like on Mm. 20 different pieces of paper and like planning my garden out and ordering my seeds and, you know, conferring and consulting with friends. Like, what are you going to do this year? And Mm -hmm. what are you planting next to your carrots this year? You know, like stuff like that. So, um, I love it. Yeah. So, but again, that, that also feels like work to me Mm. (laughs) too. Yeah. It's like, I think what I'm like, I need to just like point blank ask, like, what do you think I could do that would just be really creative for pleasure Mm -hmm. for me that doesn't involve any output of any kind Mm -hmm. of product? There, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I've been direct. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I do want to answer this by looping back to something you said earlier that we just kind of moved past really quickly, which was that you're starting to think of yourself as a writer And I'm curious about the potential for there being not only some pleasure, but maybe some reclamation in you 
exploring what it could look like for you to do more writing that is not for Instagram, that is not for content, that is not business related, that is just for you. I, you know, it makes me curious if you've ever read or dabbled in poetry. Um, I'm curious about journaling practices. I, I don't know what what's co- I, I feel like something's coming up for you right now. So yeah, I'm gonna stop is. talking. Uh, it is. <laughs> um, so I used to write poetry whenever I was a kid, um, and I don't. I have not written any poetry, and I mean it's been at least probably thirty years. I'm I'm aging myself here. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Since I was like 10, probably 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. Um, And then journaling is a really interesting one for me. So I grew up as an evangelical Christian Mm. and the, the daily devotional quiet time Mm. was like a big part of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that I don't, journal. I don't have a practice of journaling, Mm, mm -hmm. but when I have something that I like really need to chew on, or I just need to like let words come out without worrying about spelling or punctuation or anything like that, like I will get it out and I will just go to town. Um, and sometimes really cool things come out of that and sometimes it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but, um, I've also wanted to write a book. I believe that I am called to write a book. Um, at this point I'm pretty okay with like self-publishing that book. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't need the grandeur of the book advance and the publishing house and all of that. Although I won't lie, that'd be super great. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I've, and I've, I've been writing a book for like two years and I go through spurts where I write for days and like can't stop. And then I Mm -hmm. don't touch it for six months Mm -hmm. and then I'll write for a week and then I don't touch it for three months. Um, and yeah, the thing that, the thing that comes up around writing for me is like just totally immersing myself. Again, it comes back to pleasure. There's like something about it that I want to learn how to write through the lens of pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, like writing a book is that's something that someone else is going to see that a lot of people are going to see. And there's a a product at the end of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what's coming up for you now. Yeah. Well, the, the thing I wanted to ask is, so you, so out of these three sort of forms that we're talking about, so this very specific book that you just named this idea of, of journaling or having a journal journaling practice and this, idea of maybe writing poetry, when you think about those three things and tune into your body, which one of those things feel the most pleasurable? The, the journaling, whenever I just like mm. word vomit on a page, mm-hmm. cause it's not structured. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really, um, I'm very ad- averse to structure. Mm-hmm. Like I resist it hardcore. Yeah. So I don't want there to be structure in my creativity. I want it to be mm. something that I can come back to. I can leave it for a while. There's yeah. no end date or goal date that it has to be finished by. There's mm-hmm. no, like nobody's going to edit it that I don't mm-hmm. have to prove it to anyone. Like I really resist structure. 
And Mm -hmm. to me, just being able to word vomit in a journal feels the least structured. Yeah, totally. It's spontaneous. Yeah. You can write for two minutes or 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I wrote um, like two weeks ago, um, I couldn't find any lined paper in my house. (laughs) And I really wanted to write on paper. Like I use a remarkable usually to like journal and stuff like that because I can keep things in folders Mm -hmm. and notebooks and whatever. And I really like that. And it feels like writing with a pen. But for this particular thing I was writing, my plan was to like either tear it up or burn it afterwards or something. Mm -hmm. So I just used eight and a half by 11 computer paper (laughs) and just went to our printer and got it out and just wrote. And, um, I ended up writing eight pages front and back and like, and it, yeah, it took me like, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes maybe, Mm. but it was, it was so sloppy and like, (laughs) it was, but it was so therapeutic for me. I mean, I was like bawling through it. I was like, that, that felt really juicy yeah. to me. And that was a, ple- would you say that was a pleasurable experience? It was a pleasurable experience because it was a cathartic experience. And it was, I felt like I had more space in my body afterwards than I had when mm. I started. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I would call that pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. The pleasure of sloppy writing, just like yeah. sitting down and there's this sense of like abandon. You're just yeah. like word vomiting, stream of consciousness. Yeah. yeah. I love that. There's something too I like, and I, and I like this with your paintings too. I really like you leaning into the, this isn't about saving it even if I throw it away or burn it afterwards. Like pleasure is so not about having something to show for it or having like a final product. There is no like final product of our pleasure. It is experiential. And so I feel like it is a really supportive thing for you to be so devoted to like calling in the pleasure of creating, whether it's on a canvas or on the page, like so much so that you're like, yeah, universe, I'm going to like trash this afterwards. It's not about the thing. It's about like me as the thing. There's something almost like, oh, I feel like by doing that, and I want to say like, keep playing with that, like maybe do that more with the writing which is maybe a weird thing for a writing coach to be like, get rid of all your writing. You know, that's all I think you hear. I think you hear what I'm saying, right? There's, there's, it's, it, there's something magical about it. Like you're conjuring the experience of pleasure by really saying like, this is not about making a thing. This is about creating an experience for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was an experience and it was really freeing. And after I wrote it, my intention was, okay, I'm going to write this. I'm going to burn it or I'm going to tear it up or I'm going to like get rid of it somehow. Um, because it was a letter to my mom that I'm never going to send. So it felt like kind of like a cord cutting or something, you know? Yeah. Then after I wrote it and I read it back out loud to myself, I was like, I don't, I can't trash this. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I 
I recorded myself reading it. Mm. I record, like I recorded myself reading it, and I was like, good okay. idea. Even if I don't keep all these pages because they're so messy, you know, and like I can't punch holes in them and stick them in a binder or I'm going to punch holes through words because I used the whole sheet of paper from margin, from edge to edge. Mm -hmm. And so, so I still, I, they're sitting over here. I'm like looking at this little stack of eight pieces of paper Mm -hmm. sitting here um, and I haven't gotten rid of them and I don't know if I will or if I won't, they may just sit here for a while, but I recorded myself reading it and then I sent that to Kat and to my husband and to one other friend. And I was like, okay, you guys, I did it. I wrote that letter to my mom. Like I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And Kat responded, this is my favorite thing you've ever written. (laughs) And I was like, well, thank you. Like, I mean, I appreciate that. I really, really do. But, and I don't know if I'll ever do anything with it. It's just sitting on my desktop as this little 10 minute recording of this letter Mm -hmm. that I wrote and read out loud. But, you know, like that's the kind of thing that it's like sometimes when I'm in that pleasure of writing Mm -hmm. or creating, even if it's just for myself, it naturally becomes something that I want to share with other people. And I don't feel Mm. the pressure to produce, you know what I'm saying? So like, even if I never share it with anybody, it was a hundred percent worth it. And if I do share it with somebody, I know it will still be a hundred percent worth it because it has the potential to impact them in a really powerful way. Totally. Um, So would you like, would you mind if I shared that recording with you? I was just going to say, I just, yes, I wanted to ask. And then I thought, do I know her well enough to ask? So yes, this is, I wanted. <laughs> yes, we are on the same page. We are on the same page. Yes. And I just, yeah, I really, I mean, first of all, I just want to say like, cause you just said, I don't know if I'll ever do anything with it. And I just, I, that language of doing, it's like, it's not accurate language because it's like you did something with it. You have this experience. You're talking to me about it now. It's obviously impacted you. And on top of that, you've shared it with three and and now I'll be the fourth or third person, I guess. Um, Yeah, you'll be the third person. Yeah. So, I mean, that is doing, right? Again, it goes back to that thing that we named like two minutes into our conversation, which is all of it counts, right? All of it counts. But the other thing too that you just hit on that's so important is even in a situation where you're going to share this thing you wrote with other people or you're going to try to publish it or you're going to put it in your newsletter, like any, any of that, it starts with you writing it for yourself. That's where it starts from. Yeah. And the sharing and what that looks like and what your goals are, that always comes later. Like I have lots of publishing goals and I have a very active relationship with sharing my work, but it's not when I sit down to like, be true to my vision or follow an inspiration. I'm not thinking about my audience. I'm not thinking about other people. I I think we have to have really good, healthy boundaries around that in those early iterations of creating something. And a lot of it, I think we have to, we have to tend and believe in this idea that first it's for me. We just have to start there, Mm -hmm. you know? And like you said, the organic result the organic result is often that we do find, oh, I want to share this with people. But like, we can't start from there. We have to like start from the inside, from the like 
it's for me. Yeah, that's really good. And I totally admit that that boundary is sometimes really hard for me. Um, yeah. Of I'm not just creating this for other people because my income is still tied to it sometimes. Of course. You know? So yeah, yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's it's a tricky thing to talk about too because I I always want to like. I'm in the business of wanting to validate all forms of creativity. So when you're like making content for your Instagram, yeah, hell yeah, that's creative. You're of course you're a writer. Like you're producing all these things. And those things that we could in any way think of as content, all of our creativity can't be that, right? It, it we need to also have some that's again, it comes back to that thing of like it's just for us. Even if it's even in the yeah. best case situation, like I've had clients come to me, you know, and they have this book they want to write and it's they they're really clear on it and they have a lot of momentum and it's a really positive thing. And it's like, OK, great. Also, what else are you going to be working on in the meantime? And it's like they're like, well, but the book, the book is what I'm working on. But it's like we we always need to have something else that we're doing that is not already tied to an audience or other people. We just, it, our, our creativity, like the health of our creativity needs that. And I also think we need that to maintain that relationship. Totally. Yeah. And at this point, I know this is not true for everyone, but for me in the current phase of my life, this is true that creating content for Instagram at this point, yes, it's creative, but it's like the lowest hanging fruit of creativity mm, for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas sitting down yeah. with blank pieces of paper and word vomiting for an hour and a half or whatever, mm-hmm. that's much higher fruit on the tree yeah. to reach for. And I totally acknowledge that I do myself a disservice, but I still do this where I like go for the low hanging fruit instead mm. of reserving my energy for some of that more meaningful stuff that's mm. harder for me. Mm. What a what a powerful thing to recognize. I mean, this is this is the thing, right? Like all throughout this conversation we've been having, you have all this wisdom about yourself and spoke to the way that you need things to be sensual and the way that you need periods of time where you're not producing. Like you you know all these things. So glean that wisdom and apply it to your creativity, right? Maybe when you sit down as you practice, maybe showing up to the page a little bit more for, you know, more frequent word vomiting, maybe you also think about, oh yeah, can I have a candle nearby? Can I have um, a tasty treat nearby? Like, can I think about opening up the container of my creativity in a ritualistic way that that reminds me that this, that writing is also a sensual experience because I know that that's really meaningful for me. Right. Or shit, maybe you go to a stationery store and you just like touch different types of paper in different notebooks and feel the one that like feels the best to you. And you decide, okay, this is my pleasure notebook. And I'm going to be writing in this whenever I feel like it and no more and no less. And every time this like meaty part of my hand touches the page when I'm writing, I'm just going to be like that much more grounded into my creativity, you know, like play with these, these, these like wise, amazing things that you know about yourself. Yeah. I like that idea. 
See, I just needed you to reflect that back to me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's like such yeah. a joy to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, I you're a coach, so I get it. I feel the same way <laughs> whenever I get to reflect things back to people. Um, so I know you work with writers and I'm sure you've worked with artists, but I'm yeah. curious, what other types of creatives do you work with? Yeah. Painters, jewelry makers, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> people who are making candles, people who are running businesses. I mean, more and more often too, I, I do find myself supporting people with the role their creativity is playing in their small business. So, I mean, there's really, you know, there's no like limit to it. I mean, if someone came to me with a very specific thing that I knew nothing about, like they were writing a sci-fi book. Like I'm not, you know, I'm a reader of sci-fi. I'm not a writer of sci-fi. So, you know, depending on what someone comes to me and wants help with, maybe I would say, oh, you know, I, I can like direct you to someone else. But for the most part, I mean, yeah, there's every single person I work with is a totally different type of artist and creative. And frankly, more often, I'm also find myself working with people who don't know yet what kind of artist and creative they are, right? They're still figuring that out. They don't even have the label. They just have the impulse. And that's enough too, right? Just to like have that impulse to just know like, you know, I care about my creativity. I used to be more creative. I'm not creative now. I'm using air quotes around that. And I know that I, I like need more of it in my life. That's good enough. That's mm. a beautiful and really rich and insightful place to start. So more and more often I find myself in a, in a virtual room with people who, who don't even know yet, you know, and that's a really exciting place to be. Yeah. It's so interesting. As you've been talking, I've observed several, um, I words, words that start with the letter I that you've said mm. about creativity. Mm. So you've said impulse, mm. imagination, intuition. Yeah. Um, we've used the word impact several times. Yes, we have. <laughs> So yeah. I don't know what you should do with that information. Yeah. But it felt relevant to me. It's yeah, it's really interesting data. It's really yeah. I I interesting. Love, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The creative impulse. Yeah. I love I love thinking about protecting that impulse inside of us, you know, and recognizing that that's even if we don't know what it's gonna be or how it's gonna end up, the impulse is enough. Yeah, a lot of good I yeah. words. Good catch. Lots of good I words. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's my like ADHD brain. Like, I, oh, she's using more I words. It's fascinating. <laughs> no, I'm fascinated by it. And I'm going to be paying attention to it now moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, is there anything that you really wanted to say today that you haven't gotten to say yet? Or is there anything that you feel in your heart still needs to be said? Um, I'd love to give you the space to do that before yeah. we wrap up. That's such a that's such a generous question. I mean, I I feel like we've talked about so many really really important things. Um you know, in the spirit of of the I words, maybe I will just say I think about inspiration a lot, of course, and pay I pay a lot of attention to the things that inspire me and think about like what I can do to facilitate more of that, that sense of inspiration in my life. And 
I'm a Libra rising, I mentioned, and and um, I my south node is also placed there. My north node is in Aries. I'm saying all of this because I, I there's something really important in this life for me about relationships and like finding myself amongst relationships. And I've been thinking more and more that yes, inspire. Sometimes we find specific things inspiring. Like I get pretty inspired by movies. I, I get pretty inspired by certain authors. I, I find nature inspiring, but I'm thinking more and more lately that inspiration is this thing that doesn't just live in objects or like other people, but that it lives in the relational space, that it is like a quality of attention that you can cultivate inside of yourself. And when you do that, you there's almost like nothing that isn't inspiring. You know, it's like you can find it more and more places because it's, it's a, it's a way of being curious. It's a way of like listening. It's a way of paying attention. And I think that's part of living a more creative life and tending our creativity. It's like, I I really mean it when I say like, oh, it like, yeah, you'll, you'll become a better writer and you'll make cool things and you'll feel good about it. And that's all wonderful. But also I'm talking about how we move through time and space and how we engage with other people and how we engage with the environment around us. So yeah, I think there's really, there's, there's no person who would not benefit from tending their creativity a little bit more, you know, it really is this like vital thing that I think we all need. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautifully said. Thanks for the question. Please tell our listeners. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, Can you please tell our listeners where they can find you? And if there's any offering or thing that you would like to share here, please take space to do that. Yeah, so they can find me on my website, sarahteresacook.com. I always like to point out, I do have an H in Sarah, and I don't have an H in Teresa, so sarahteresacook.com. Pretty much all all of my offerings and my newsletter are linked on my website, but I do publish a a Substack newsletter that's really important to me and really is both an extension of my own artistry, but because I'm a coach and a mentor, it also ends up being a space where I include a lot of creative prompts and self-coaching tools. So it's, it really is a pretty dynamic space. Um, so you can sign up for that at sarahcook.substack.com. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, one of my, one of my favorite things to do, you know, I I do workshops right now. I'm co-facilitating a small group program. I, I, I put a lot of different kinds of offerings into the world, but there's just something so, so special about the one-on-one space, um, you know, especially for those of us, and this this includes me, you know, for those of us who do have wounds and traumas and things that we're trying to heal as we tend our creativity, there's, there's something really special that can happen in an intimate one-on-one relationship that you build with someone, you know, over the course of a period of time. Um, so uh, yeah, I offer one-on-one support in short-term packages, long-term, you know, I have some clients I've been working with for over a year now, which is pretty exciting. So it's, you know, um, it's a really special space and I, I love, I love supporting people one-on-one. So 
yeah, if anybody's interested or curious or you want to start a conversation or even just have a question, like I'm super reachable and I'm, I'm a human and I love hearing from other humans. So yeah, please, Mm -hmm. please reach out if you have any questions or just want to start a conversation and see what it might be like to work together. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have a link to your Substack, your website in the show notes episode. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. This conversation was a pleasure. This was lovely. And I'm so looking forward to hearing your recording. I I got a little early. (laughs) That's okay. That's also okay too. We'll, you'll share it and then we'll notice safety together afterwards. For sure. hundred percent. I do feel safe. So thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Lindsay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. Stay in touch with me by joining my email list at lindsaylockett.com forward slash email. And feel free to follow along on Instagram at I am Lindsay Lockett. Finally, you can check out all of my offerings, including courses, private coaching, and workshops on my website at lindsaylockett.com.